Clap for him. <laughs> oh, that was really... Sorry. No, that was great. Thank you, Ira. Sorry, Spurgeon will be offended. I'm sorry. That's his. May get to that later. No, thank you, brother. You are my all in all. Well, I'm just going to close this in prayer because the worship song for the sermon. So, no, I love how God does that with Ashley and the team. You guys, that was awesome. Thank you. Just how the Lord puts things in place like that by his divine order of things. And so we're continuing on and through Psalms. So as I'm preparing, if you turn to Psalm 27 in whatever means you have, your pad, your phone, your hard copy of God's word. Last week, um, Grady taught on Psalm 23, which I was in kids worship and I know we mentioned it's my favorite psalm, and I told him, I said, dude, have you ever taught it before? He goes, nope. I'm like, it's yours. I'm not doing it again. You have to teach this. We need to hear from our senior shepherd. You need to just get in there and dig in, and I heard it this week. I listened to it. He did a great job, and I honestly told him, I said, I can't do it because I could not do it in one sermon. Impossible. For those of you that have sat under my small groups or Sunday school, it takes me six to eight months to go through Psalm 23 because there's so much in there. So I'm like, dude, gladly you need to take this. But what I love about it being... On this end, me doing Psalm 27 after Psalm 23, and Grady chose the psalm, and we're coming to the end of our three-week psalms of of psalms of confidence, is that it's almost a part two, okay? It's going to kind of flow out of the heart of Psalm 23, specifically since David wrote it. Um, Obviously, David expresses some things in Psalm 27 about a primary heart issue that he has and what he deals with. And I just praise God for David, right? Uh, Us as Christians, we always say, thank God for David, and the New Testament, thank God for who? Peter, because <laughs> those guys blew it royally. They did. There is the beautiful expression of humanity and behavior and, and just our sinfulness and just life and things. But the beauty about David was, as we're going to see through this psalm, he was so real and so transparent. He kind of held his life out on his sleeve. He just put everything out there. And he was a man of repentance and a man that came back to the Lord. So we're going to see that today in Psalm 27. We're going to glean from him and go verse by verse through this. And So just have that mindset coming out of Psalm 23 last week. Um, And David's perspective, I want to start with a little context. You know, David writes from experiences that we're going to see here in a moment. But he's like a shepherd king. That's his mindset. But he's also a sheep, right? Let's remember that. David wrote from a perspective in Psalm 23 and many other psalms, not just from a perspective of being a shepherd and a king, but a sheep, knowing his relationship that he has with the Lord. And the the fields in the wilderness prepared him for the throne. You all remember that? got to remember that. The fields in the wilderness that David was in prepared him for the throne and to govern a kingdom. So this psalm, Psalm 27, is kind of interesting through some of the commentaries. A lot of the theologians had different contrasts and insight on it. But there's a lot of contrast in this. You go from lament and sorrow to exaltation. You go from this mindset of persecution to praise. And then he mentions warfare to worship. You know, so there's this contrast, this dichotomy that's going on, which David has done in many of his psalms. And so we're just going to get a glimpse. And I, even as I was reading it, praying through it, it's almost like we get a glimpse of David's diary. You guys, any of you here journal? I don't. My wife is so faithful at journaling. Or if any of you have a diary, we just write your thoughts and your things, you know, your mindset down and things you go through. This Psalm 27, as many other Psalms, David, is like a getting a glimpse into David writing in his journal. Even though it's a song, and, but it's, it has that flow to it. He'll give some exhortation, and then he'll go dark. He'll give some glory, and then he'll go into some concerns. And so that's the beauty of this psalm, and we get to glean from that and to get a glimpse of who God is in the midst of this relationship that David has with his Lord. 
So if you'd please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word, we're going to read this together. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It's my one that I study with and I love, and I love ESV, but this is just the one that I go to when I do my preaching, and also I'll be reading out of the New American Standard. So let's read the word of God together. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. God, we thank you for these words, for this transparent heart of your son, David. God, we thank you. There's so much in this about who you are and your glory and this relationship you desire to have with us. So Holy Spirit, as we've already prayed, we pray that you would come, you would manifest yourself, you would teach us, you would enlighten us, you would bring revelation and insight. We want to meet with you today, Lord. We want to make much of Jesus. We want to make much of your glory today. So have your way from this point on. May CJ be silent, and may you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you can tell, a little fluctuation. David goes all over the map a little bit, but there is a constant thread. There is a common thing that we're going to see and glean from. So let's look here again. Psalm 27, I want to look at verses 1 through 3 to start, and then bring some context. I love context. Those are my Sunday school class. To me, I think it's so important to be able to frame this and have a mindset of who's saying this and why. So David declares right out of the gate. Look at this declaration of this positive praise and affirmation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread or whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. I mean, as I was reading this this week, Looking at what David went through, just in these first few verses, you know, evildoers came upon him to devour his flesh, adversaries and enemies came, a host was encamping around him, war was rising up against him. Kind of looking at my week and some circumstances that I went to, I'm like, whew, I complain about a little too much stuff. (laughs) I mean, I don't know about you guys, we haven't had much of this happen to any of us recently, I wouldn't think. But what I love about this is to get perspective, is that, as he said, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Let's do a really quick little thing. I just want to get perspective. Many things that are familiar. 
But who is the man saying this? Who is the man declaring these things? And the mindset, what shaped him and what brought him to this point with his life and experiences to declare these things? So very quickly, I'm going to read some verses. They're not going to be on the screen because I just want to read them out quickly to lay some foundational truths. So right out of the gate, we all know this is David, who is a shepherd man, young teenager, chosen by God in the fields to be his king. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought after himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. What's the key phrase we always say about David in this? He was a man of what? After God's heart. Acts chapter 13, verse 22, Paul reiterated this. Paul mentioned this. After he had removed Saul, he, God, raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. So Paul just reiterating, David was a man after God's heart who will do all his will. Now, what's interesting about that last phrase, Paul said? Did David do all of God's will? No, he sinned often. He realized his brokenness. He realized his rebellion. He blew it often. But the beauty of what God was saying about God, him being a man after his own heart, is that he was a man who was after God, who sought after him, who desired him, and was quick to repent and quick to come back to the Lord. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. I want you all to remember the word, upon. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. So he's a shepherd boy out in the field, is brought before Samuel, anointed of God to be the next king. Shortly after that, who does he go into the wilderness or into the uh, fields of um, a warlike situation? He confronts who? Goliath. Here's this young teenager who is brought before the army of the Lord, and the Philistines are mocking him, Goliath is mocking him, and he comes up to bring food to his brothers, and he hears this big giant out in the fields mocking his Lord. And in 1 Samuel 17, David says this, David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And shortly, a little bit beyond that, David said to Saul, listen to how he communicates this. A teenage boy, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you're but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, I love this, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him, rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against him, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant was killed, both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, listen to this quote, sound familiar? The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul told David, go and may the Lord be with you. This is what shaped David. He's out in the fields. He's experiencing these predators that come upon him. And this is exactly why he could declare what he did in Psalm 27 with this type of confidence 
knowing who his God is. Saul also tried to kill David with a spear. David's in his tent playing the harp to comfort Saul. And Saul takes a spear and tries to impale him right there as he's playing. A little further on, we all know the story that Saul then tries to hunt him down over a period of time to kill David. Once he's king, nations rise up against him. Constant war for a long period of time before God brings peace with Israel. And then lastly, one of the most trying things toward the end is David's own son, Absalom, rebels and tries to have him killed. False witnesses come against him. And his own son tried to take over his throne. So through all of these things that I just mentioned, now you can see why in verse 2 and 3, David declares, when evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, obviously in that it's an imagery that these individuals, these evildoers, these adversaries, these enemies were like wild animals. And obviously a bear and a lion were ones that he fought. So he understood protecting sheep. And though a host encamp against me, that's Saul's army, encamped around him, he said, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of all these things, I will be confident. So out of this mindset, out of these experiences, David was able to declare, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. So the, simple, the foundational truth of this, you guys, that I want us to hone in on, that comes out of Psalm 23, even from last week, the intimacy and the beauty of that shepherd-sheep relationship, is that David's confidence and trust, his hope, was in the intimate, powerful manifestational presence of God. It wasn't in the precepts or in the words or the law that came forward, but David experienced an intimate, powerful, manifestational, intimate presence of God on a consistent basis. He saw it, he experienced it, and he declares it. It's one of the most profound things David's ever declared. Look at verse 4, moving on from this thought. It's David never framed a, a sentence like this, what he's about to ask. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. David never asked or phrased a question like that. One thing I have asked. This is preeminent with David. It's primary. This is his heart issue that he is trying to express here in this song. That the most important thing, the primary thing he's crying out to the Lord for, that he is not just asking for, but what? Seeking after is to dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. Guys, look at the amazing, how these wordings, what he's wording here. He didn't say one thing I have asked, I want more power, more wealth, more land, to conquer more nations. I mean, he could have asked for that as a king. He's experienced these things. But look at David's heart and what he is asking for here. That I may dwell. That word dwell has so many connotations, but it literally means to remain, to rest, to abide. So he wants to dwell, remain, rest, abide in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. To behold, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, the splendor of God, the glory of God. And to close that out, to meditate in his temple. Some translations you may have say inquire or to consider. So just look at what he's asking the Lord here. Above everything else that I've experienced, possible death, betrayal, um, you know, fear of all these things, nations rising against me, in spite of all of that, my hope, my confidence 
is looking to the one true God to dwell, to remain, to abide, to behold his beauty, to gaze upon his splendor, to seek and inquire in his temple. And as you know, all those words, all the connotations of those, the temple, the house, the tabernacle, all of that has the Old Testament connotation of where God had the Ark of the Covenant and his presence was first experienced. I love the Old Testament with this. I love how it's a precursor and pointing to Jesus and pointing to who's to come. So through all of this situation, and what I want to encourage us with, and what he mentioned last week in Psalm 23, what David is crying out for more than anything else on this earth is God himself, his presence, his power, his glory, his splendor, the intimacy of this relationship that goes beyond any comparison that he's experienced with wealth and power and gold and treasures. Everything else pales in comparison to this. And for him to declare, the Lord is my light and my salvation, the Lord is the defense of my life, he got that, those imageries, those words, those examples, just like we do, which I want to go back to and see, from history. Did you know David actually got to read scripture just like us? David got to be encouraged with the word of God, with the law, because of the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, David had access to it. He read it. Many of the Psalms, he even expresses those things and goes back to talk about this. And I want to just show you why David was encouraged by this, what David would have seen or read that would have encouraged him as a believer and as a son of God and as the Lord's king. A couple of these things I want you to see. This is so neat. Exodus chapter 13. It's one of my favorite Old Testament stories about God's power and his presence and what we get to experience with him. Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. Very familiar story. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel day by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. How long were they in the wilderness? 40 years. Think about this. The presence of God in this way, a cloud by day and a fire by night, God in his infinite glory and wisdom and pleasure and to first time ever in hundreds of years that the people of Israel actually got to experience the presence of God in this way. They were enslaved for hundreds of years, crying out to God, where are you, where are you? Where is our deliverer? Where is our savior? And God shows up as Moses comes as the savior and God shows up and delivers his people And the first way for him to reveal himself, to show his glory, his splendor, his beauty, to show how intimate and caring and loving he is, is to come in the form of a cloud by day and a fire by night. After all those miracles and all those things we saw in Egypt. But but look at what God's heart is in this. He did not take away the cloud or the fire from before the people. He stayed in that manifestational presence for 40 years guiding these people just want you to hear and see God's heart in this. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, this sounds familiar, it's exactly what David declared, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Exodus 14, 24. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. Last one. 
And I just love this. Guys, I hope when you hear these Old Testament passages, you're recognizing the same God who showed up in that wilderness is in you. The same God that showed up in the pillar of fire and the cloud by day and the fire by night abides in you, resides in you, remains in you, dwells in you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to him, put your faith and trust him, that God who showed up in that way abides in you. No amen on that one? I mean, seriously. Guys, we have to live in that reality. We separate ourselves so much from this, that he's out there, we're not here, where's the intimacy? That's the reality we live. This amazing, incomprehensible God who showed up, as we're about to read again, in the wilderness for 40 years, now abides and resides in you. This is where this story and what David's experiences pushes forward to us now and goes, this is the reality we get to live in. When Jesus stood in the temple in John chapter 8, he stood in the temple during the Feast of um, Tabernacles, and he stood there between, before thousands of people in the court of women with this giant menorah next to him in the next room, and he did it strategically and on purpose just before he died. And he stood there at the temple among thousands, and he says, I am the light of the world. Do you know what he was declaring there? I am the cloud by day, and I am the fire by night. You see that menorah that you guys are coming to celebrate and recognize and remember what I did back in the wilderness for those 40 years? The power of that pillar and that cloud has shown up. I'm here. That's what he was declaring. That God who delivered the people, who showed up in that way, who revealed power and glory and splendor, is here before you. Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what David is experiencing here. That's what he's looking toward. Exodus 33, 7 through 11. I just want to read this one. I just love how God shows himself through this. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went down to the tent that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent. They would gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, this is so cool, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his own tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Doesn't that sound amazing? Can you imagine standing outside that tent in awe and glory, watching this cloud descend and just hover at a door? And then knowing that cloud is the manifestational presence of God himself. And then for to declare that Moses talks to him face to face like a person would talk to a friend. Again, saints, I hope you're getting encouraged, excited, a little edified. That God who showed up at that tent entrance and looked at Moses face to face and encountered him and spoke with him is where? You. Empowers you. Enlightens you. Wants to speak to you. Abides in you has saved you, has set you free, has redeemed you, has reconciled you back to himself. That same God, we got to worship this morning as Ashley and our team led us in all those words. We got to do this morning what they did outside their tents. They saw the power and presence of God and they what? Worshiped. And this is what David's expressing here. 
This is his only hope, his only confidence, his only trust, is looking to that intimacy. And I love Psalm 26 verse, I'm sorry. I'll do this other one. I just talk about the intimacy of God, even with David and what he got to experience. See, David read that about Moses. David knew about the cloud. David knew about the fire by night. He gleaned from that. He read the law. He read the precepts. That no doubt spoke to him and encouraged him. 1 Samuel 23, 2 and 4. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go to attack the Philistines? The Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. David's men said to him, Behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the ranks of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. God didn't have to send a prophet all the time to David. But he did. Sometimes he would send Samuel. Sometimes he would send Nathan. But guys, look at the beauty of that verse, of that little encounter. David had a dialogue with his God. David had a dialogue with his shepherd, his king, his Lord. One-on-one. Got direction, insight. These things shaped and framed David to be able to declare these things, to say the most important thing is to dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold and gaze upon his beauty and splendor, to meditate, to seek him, to consider, to reflect on him in his temple. And all of that shaped him and prepared him for what was even to come. One chapter over, Psalm 26, 8, David declared this again. Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. So even up to this point in this chapter, you guys know just right out of the gate. Obviously, I was convicted all week reading this, going, the question for all of us, is that our heart? Is that the heart we have for our God? Do we even think about it this way? Do we have a desire Do we cry out to the Lord, God, I love the habitation of your house. God, I love the place where your glory dwells. God, I desire to remain in you and rest in you and abide in you, to dwell and to gaze at the splendor of your beauty in the intimacy of his presence. Guys, this is yet challenge for us. This is where everything tunnels, funnels on down to our reality of our faith. This is it. Do we desire to engage, to connect, and to encounter the intimate presence of God on a daily basis. And that's what he was coming out of Psalm 23 last week. Remember the end of it, talking about the big banquet with the shepherd king, and he says, surely what? Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And the last part is what David said here, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's heart there is like, I want to be with my shepherd forever because he knows when he's in the presence of his shepherd There's love, affection, care, compassion, protection and safety and provision. All those things that only the shepherd can provide. And David recognizes the only place of hope, the only place of trust and confidence is in the intimate presence of the Lord. And he flows that into verse 5. Just let's look at some of these other verses as we continue to flow quickly. His expression here goes, For in the day of trouble... He will conceal me in the tabernacle, the secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up in a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing praise. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. What I love about verse 5, not love, but it's just the reality. 
He didn't say, for if the day of trouble comes, correct? <laughs> what does it say? For in the day. It's coming. He recognizes what this life is about. He knows his life challenges, all this experience. He knows trouble will come. But again, he declares, the Lord will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the shelter of his protection. In the secret place, God will hide me. Hide me. And then look at the last two declarations of end of five and six. In his protection, in God's safety, he will then lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me. So through safety, provision, through who God is in his presence, he will then, not what David did, God will lift him up to a position of victory, to a position over his enemies, for God to use him for his glory and his purposes as the king that he is called after his own heart. And out of that position, that's what I love about this, out of that position when God exalts him or God lifts him up to his calling, to his purpose for all of us, when God lifts us up to our position of purpose and calling and hope in him, resting in his presence, then the response is worship. He says, and I'll offer sacrifices in the tents and shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. David always responds in a heart of worship in these situations. Understanding who his God is, who his shepherd is. But then there's a switch. <laughs> this is a, so David. In verse 7, the journal entry takes a little turn. He goes from kind of encouraging himself and declaring these things, talking to himself and you know, showing some confidence in who God is. And then he cries out to the Lord in verse 7. He goes vertical. And he takes a little turn. There's a tone shift. And it gets a little serious. And here's what he says in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I'll seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Isn't that interesting? In the midst of this song and him writing these things down, this shift in tone, this serious nature of crying out to God. And we don't know what stirred that. Obviously, David thought about a lot and went through a lot. But look at what he declares here. It's just amazing that he doesn't focus on the external things or even the word in the center of the law. But look what he says. God, when I cry out to you, please be gracious and answer me. I want to hear you. I want to reconnect. I want to be in this relationship, this intimacy that he's experienced. And I love verse 8. Look what he says. He's declaring back to God what God has already said. He's saying, God, you said, seek my face. And so I'm, t- I'm declaring to you, my heart says to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. And what I love about even him explaining, Expressing what God had said. God didn't say, and again, the word is good. He didn't say, seek my word, seek my law, seek my precepts. Those things are wonderful. We already studied some of those. Psalm 19. What is God referencing here? What is God crying out to his people, to David? Seek my what? Seek the intimacy of me. Seek my relationship. Seek who I am as a person in this relationship, as God, as your shepherd, as your Lord, as your king. God showed up all the time in the New Testament intimately. That's what I love about the word theophany, 
where the divine shows up in physical form. And that should encourage us, saints. That same God who showed up multiple times, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, showed up in physical form. We've talked about this all through the Old Testament. Why? Because he wants to be near us. It shows his love for us, his care, his compassion, his tenderness. He wants to meet with us. And David experienced this. And in this moment of him crying out to the Lord and taking this shift in tone, saying, Lord, you said seek your face. And I want you to know, he's saying, my heart wants to seek you. Don't hide your face from me. And again, David didn't say, Lord, don't hide your law. Don't hoard your word. Don't hide your precepts. I want to see you. And I, I got to get a glimpse, and I think we've all experienced this. Those times where we have experienced intimacy with God, which, man, I hope you have. Please seek him in that way. That's the whole point of this. He wants to just commune with you by yourself, intimately, reading his word, meditating on it. Let him speak to you. Let him lavish his love on you, being still before him. And I know those moments that I've experienced that, there's nothing like it on planet Earth. Can some of you attest? And if you haven't, I just want to cry to you, please seek him that way. You may cry and say, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know how to seek you like David said. I don't know how to come into your temple or your presence and be able to experience this. But I know that's your heart because you said, seek my face. You said, seek me. And I obviously see David, my brother, your son going, Lord, I want to seek after you. And God speaks and he comes and he is near. And he desires that for us. The only reason David was able to get through all these horrible situations of life and death and challenges and betrayal and rejection is because he was able to rest and abide in the beauty of the presence of the Lord. And it may seem so ethereal and out there and woohoo, you know, but that's not true. We have a God who's intimate and near. He wants to come to you. Those songs we sang today are real. He wants to come. He wants to sit with you and abide with you and experience intimacy. He just wants you, again, as David said here, that your heart would seek him, that you would cry out to him for that to happen. And as it says at the end of verse 9, David declared, you have been my help. That is who God is for us. We've all experienced this, him being our help. That Hebrew word means he's our advocate. He comes alongside and he will show up. And at the end of this in verse 10, just to bring a little end to this little section, David's heart in this, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Obviously, he's just using that as an imagery that human relationships are going to fail you. Human relationships will fail me. My mother will fail me. My father will fail me. Everyone else on earth will fail me. His son failed him. His wives had failed him. Betrayal, rejection, all these things. But the beauty of this imagery is that, but the Lord will take me up. The Hebrew phrase there, other ones say, receive me. It literally means a child like this. Reaching up to their papa, to their mama, and what? That parent receives them and embraces them and lifts them up to himself. And that's what God desires to do with all of us, you guys. He is our Abba. He wants that imagery for us to know that he will pick us up. He will hold us. He will just bring us under his wing, that safety, that protection. Many times in my life, and I can remember like it was yesterday, whether it be storms or situations in our family where we dealt with some supernatural stuff and some things that were dark and horrible and scary and afraid. And I can remember vividly when my sister and I would be in the room with my parents and just being in her lap or in my father's lap, 
And that sense of comfort and safety and protection that only God can bring in those certain moments. And I know many of you experience that in the safety of your parent or a grandparent where there's just... And that's what Psalm 23 represents. When a sheep is out there in the fields and there's possibly predators about and things going on in the herd, one thing that stood out to me weren't anything about that teaching and about the presence of God and what David is expressing here is that Philip Keller, the guy who I used his little book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he was an East African sheep herder. And this imagery stood out so much about the power of God's presence. He said, when I would come to my herd, sometimes it would be over a knoll, and I would hear my herd in the distance, and it was chaos. He would hear them, you know, doing their little sounds. He would hear some of them butting up against each other, the sheep fighting and all these type of things. There was just chaos, disunity. There was no peace. And he would walk over the knoll, over the hill, and all he would do is stand. His presence had arrived. And once the sheep recognized him in the midst of their nuttiness and doing all that, once they looked up and got a glance, as they were able to gaze, as they were able to behold the presence of their shepherd, he said, in a matter of seconds, peace entered the herd. He said, what happens like this. Once they recognize their authority, their leader, their protector, their provider, everything that shepherd represented, who is Christ for us, there was peace. His presence brought that. And this is what David is expressing here. My father, God, will take me up. He will bring me in. I will be in the safety of his wings. And then finally, the last two, three verses. Again, he takes another little turn coming down the home stretch. David cries out, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. And here's the key two verse. This is so good. David cried out again, this encouraging edification. I would have despaired. Look at this confession. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Here is a shepherd king, a sheep king, who recognizes the reality of his life, the life challenges he has, the situations that he's having to endure and he's already had to go through. And look, he wouldn't even admit it. I would have despaired. I would have been anxious. I would have worried. There would have been an aspect that I would have almost given up unless he looks forward. He knew and believed that he would see and experience the goodness of the Lord. And the goodness of the Lord comes from his presence of us being with him, communing with him, seeking him. And that last charge, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart, there's that word again, he uses it three or four times, heart, take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. What I love about how he said that, he didn't say wait on, did he? He could have said wait. There's a different context. Waiting for meaning you're in this situation of life. There's no hope. There's no... Who are you having to wait for? We sang it. Help is what? On the way. He said, wait for the Lord. Wait for your shepherd. Wait for your king. Hope is coming. Confidence is coming. Trust is coming. Your security, your all in all, everything you need. He's coming. He will show up. And David is crying out there saying, your heart will take courage and be strong because when he shows up, he will bring peace and rest and comfort and protection and all that a shepherd provides. 
And that's David's heart and what he is expressing here. So for us saints, this is the simplicity of our faith. It doesn't get any more foundational than this. But guys, this is where we, so many times, I blow it. I, I, I mean, I look at David's cry here. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Lord, one thing that I ask, one thing I want to seek above all else is to abide with you, to dwell with you, to rest in you, to just sit and be a gaze at your beauty and your splendor. I don't feel that way often. But that's the foundation and the root of our faith. Without that presence, without his power, without that intimacy, we will not endure. We will not be able to move on. We will not be able to trace these face these trials and tribulations. We had a very small one this week. My air conditioner went out at our house. Now, some of you go, that's pretty big with 100 degree heat every day. It was brutal for a couple of days, but praise God, my mother's house, we live close. You know, and really in the midst of that, I'm studying this week and I'm hearing about David being attacked by bears, lions, and Saul trying to kill him with a spear and being hunted down and Goliath. And I'm like, ooh, air conditioning doesn't sound like big of a, <laughs> big of a deal. And though I be it in the flesh a little bit, but I'm just saying, I'm your perspective. And God showed up in that. In my mom's bathroom, as we were getting ready throughout the week, there's a placard. And I just, it's so funny how God works. Isn't he just so humorous And when he shows up in this way? And I even forgot it was there. And so as we're getting ready all the past few days, every day I see it. In the midst of all this, in the midst of studying this, in the midst of AC going out and some other things we've been going through the past couple of weeks with family and friends and church situations and all that just have been really heavy on my heart. But God has shown up. He has delivered. But it says... Do not be afraid of tomorrow. God is already there. And that's exactly what I needed. In the midst of the bathroom where my father's stuff used to be, just two years out, him passing away and dealing with the emotions of seeing his face and pictures and having been in that house for that long, looking at that again. Don't be afraid tomorrow when I'm going to wake up on his side of the bed. I slept in his bed on his side. And I look over and God says, don't be afraid of tomorrow. I'm here. I'm going to show up in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your tragedies, in the midst of loss, what our teenagers have gone through this week, in the midst of relationship issues, in the midst of finances, in the midst of an air conditioner going out, in the midst of all these things that are tough, a part of our life challenges. Ours are different than David's, but they're real. And they impact us, and they affect our faith, and they affect how we come to God, or if we don't. And in those situations, saints, I just encourage you to say what David says, God, I want to seek your face. My heart is to seek after you. Help me do that. Help me recognize how to do that because I know that's your heart. God desires to be with you. Do you hear that? The God of the universe who named every star, who showed up as a cloud by day and a fire by night for 40 straight years, who showed up in that way in his power and glory, who spoke face-to-face with Moses and David and all those in Scripture, the God who came and did miracle after miracle, who brought life and salvation through Christ on the cross, through redemption, that God wants to be with you intimately, conversationally, communing with you, fellowshipping with you, in his word, in the intimacy and the stillness of his presence. That is what is going to get us through. And that's what David recognized. And that's what David cried out in Psalm 27 all throughout. God, I want to dwell with you. I want to gaze at your beauty. I want to know you that way. And he desires that for us. That's astounding to me. After studying all week, I'm still just, it's so humbling and amazing to even think that that God desires to hang out with CJ, his son. It's incredible. But he does. 
and he wants to meet you in that place. No matter your age, from the youngest child in here to the oldest adult, that God desires to commune with you. So let's seek him this week and cry out to him and watch him show up because he is there. Let's stand. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, it still astounds me when I read some of these scriptures in the Old Testament where you showed up in so many grand ways and so many cool ways, even a cloud and a fire, and even how you showed up as the second person of the Trinity in a theophany that you divinely came down long before you came as the babe in the manger. God, you, because you were intimate, you were caring, you're loving, you're compassionate for your glory, for your name and your renown, for you to save your people and to redeem your people, God, for your glory. You show up. And Lord, I pray that's a reality we all get to experience this week. We recognize that in our brother David's heart, in his cry, in his heart to cry out to you. And, and sometimes even in this song, God, we saw him go back and forth. It seemed to be a struggle of declaring your glory and then saying, Lord, but. <laughs> declaring your glory, but Lord, don't, please don't do this. You know, I just love his re- transparency because that's what we struggle with. So I pray for all of us this week, God, that we would seek you, that we would recognize your desire to know us intimately, to reveal yourself to us. And it comes through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, through your beautiful redemption, through the work of your cross, your sacrifice, the love that you gave for us, the mercy you offer. You desire to sit with us and commune with us, to speak to us through the beauty of your word, through just that still small voice, whatever you desire to do. God, I pray that reality becomes so real for us this week because that's how we're going to get through. That's how David could say, in spite of all of this, I am confident. We rest in you. We dwell in you. Our peace is in you. Our hope is in you. May it be this week. In Jesus' name, amen.